0: Hi, I'm a covert narcissist and working towards being a better person to myself and to others. I've created this podcast because after I was diagnosed with my personality disorder and have accepted the fact, I wanted to learn more about it. I found dozens of books written by or for victims of narcissistic abuse, but I found almost no help for covert narcissists themselves. I understand why that is, of course. Most narcissists will not acknowledge their narcissism or are willing to change. It's also my understanding that covert narcissism is a somewhat recent discovery and experts are still trying to figure out how to effectively help people diagnosed with this personality disorder. So I decided to use my insights to, on the one hand, give victims of narcissistic abuse an unfiltered view into my brain and maybe help them heal. But mostly to reach out to other covert narcissists who are trying to be less toxic. Welcome back to season 3 of the covert narcissist. And as this podcast's name suggests, this is a podcast about covert narcissism. In Taylor Swift's song Anti-Hero, a line called smile attention. Did you hear my covert narcissism? I disguise as altruism. We know that Taylor is a terrific songwriter and most of her songs are based on a personal experience. She also said in her Midnight's Mayhem, describing the song, and I quote here, We all hate things about ourselves. And it's all of those aspects of the things we like and dislike about ourselves that we have to come to terms with if we're going to be this person. So I like Antihero a lot because I think it's really honest. With that in mind, let's go down this rabbit hole. Let's assume Taylor Swift did not mean to call herself a covert narcissist just for fun, but that she is indeed a covert narcissist. In season 3, I want to dedicate each episode to an album by Taylor Swift, scanning her lyrics for covert narcissistic clues. I'm only using the original albums, no re-recordings or bonus tracks from deluxe versions, etc. Of course, all of this has to be taken with a grain of salt, as with any piece of literature. Things are open to interpretation and what I might see as a clue holds to someone else a completely different meaning. Ready? Let's dive in. And so sorry Taylor. First of all, sincere apologies. As you might know, I plan to release this episode on the 1989 Taylor's version's release date. That's the album that made me and so many others Swifty. However, Even I felt that was wrong and wanted to get some distance for us to truly appreciate this album. However, I did want to wrap up Season 3 of this podcast before the holidays, so I'm going to release the next episodes every second day from now on. With that being said, let's explore 1989. We left Taylor at her last album, which was all about the ending or the aftermath of a relationship. I concluded that the way she ends relationships is quite typical for a covert narcissist. It's an emotional roller coaster followed by the feeling of emptiness and then an ugly breakup, full of hate, regret, and wishing it hadn't ended this way. So, going into 1989, I had high hopes to find even more clues. 1989 is surprisingly tame when it comes to covert narcissist reference. Which is why this episode is going to be a very short one, but fear not, reputation and even folklore will not hold back. In blank space, she sings about madness, heaven, sin, the much-discussed roller coaster of a love a court narcissist finds himself or herself in. This continues in the chorus: Is it gonna go down in flames? and she asks if the price is worth the pain. She goes on claiming that boys only want love if it's torture. If that's not toxic enough for you, she describes the love story highly emotionally with the words screaming, crying, perfect storm, I can make all the tables turn, rose garden filled with thorns, keep you second guessing. This is all super typical for a court narcissist in a relationship. It's a play with fire, it's emotional, it's heaven first, and then hell. As I've mentioned in the last episode, covert narcissists tend to seek out the alpha types, narcissists in general, we know their trouble, but we still go after them because we want to elevate our own ego by owning them, by being part of their life, by showing to everyone that we are the ones who got them. And she calls her new love interest her, and I quote, next mistake. So she knows she's getting herself into trouble. She is seeking out this person she wants, but she knows this is not going to end well. Bad blood. The title gives it away. I don't even need to say more about this, but I will. I've mentioned numerous times now how covert narcissists will always choose revenge over forgiveness. It's not in our nature to forgive. In our minds, we're always the victims of a situation and the other ones did us wrong. And now we are the ones who are out for justice. Even if we have to take care of karma ourselves. Bad blood is kind of like our anthem. Not once in a song, she critically questions herself if she did anything wrong. We only learn how she is the victim of a person who doesn't treat her well and how she has no other choice than to seek revenge. And that's all I could find. I think 1989 is more of an album where her lyrics are more descriptive of a situation less of her feelings. Which is why it's hard to describe her personality. She does describe a few well-win romance in her relationship. There's many vulnerable moments too. But that's not concrete enough for me to call her out as a queer narcissist. I need to be fair here. Her next albums, however, will not hold back in this regard. And I can promise you this much. Those are going to be my longest episodes that I've ever recorded. See you next time. The episode will be about reputation.